Thank you for joining me on episode 17 of the Unique On Purpose podcast, helping you find victory in how God has uniquely created you. I am your host, Rachel Gentleman, just a regular gal trying to help people know that they are called to be victors in Christ Jesus. Today, we talk to Shauna Monet and her book, Is This the Plan?, where she digs deep into each character of the Christmas story. You don't want to miss out. Welcome back to the Unique on Purpose podcast. And this is a podcast where we talk all about overcoming victories and just how God has created all of us uniquely and how we can use that for his glory. And today I have Shauna Monet. So Shauna, hi. So glad that you're here. Hi. Thanks for being here today. And I wanted to have you I wanted to have you on because you wrote a book called Is This the Plan? It's a Christmas book. I guess you could call it a Christmas book. It's it's wrapped around the Christmas story, right? But yeah. I love the book because I'm a history nerd. Are you a history nerd? Is that kind of why you... You, you know, I, I really enjoy world history, not so much U.S. history, but I had a lot of fun doing the research in history and doing this. You, you know, that's <laughs> funny because I'm, I am I love American history, and I don't know as much about world history as I should, and that's, uh, I guess, why I like your book so much. And the thing about the Bible is there are so many people that take certain scriptures and they completely take it out of context or they uh, uh, wrap a whole doctrine around one scripture and it's misinterpreted because they don't know the history of the Bible. They don't know what was happening in that culture at that point in time. And so I'm in that firm belief that we are all created unique on purpose. But the way we know how we were uniquely created is by getting to know God better and getting to know his word better. And by getting to know God better, we get to know ourselves better and how we uniquely fit into God's kingdom. And so in your book, you really dig in to the history of Christmas. So this book is called Is the Plan? I don't know really what your purpose is for it, but I think you can use this as a devotional or if you're an Advent person. But tell me what led you to write this book? So this book, I actually, I wrote for me. I was not planning on publishing it when I first wrote it. Um, I was getting ready one Christmas, and we had a Bible study going on that night. I'm trying to make cookies in my kitchen, and I'm juggling a lucky baby on my hip and trying to read the devotion so I actually know what's going on when I'm in the Bible study, and it's on silent night. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to focus on it and read, and I realized that I had forgotten something I needed for cookies. I'm like, you know, I think I left it in the car. So I run out to my living room to go get it, and there is my oldest at the time standing on the back of the couch with nothing on, <laughs> waving at the neighbor girls who are screaming in the front yard. Oh, no. Oh, no. And I just remember seeing it just mortified, and I'm just like, I cannot read a devotion on Silent Night right now. Like, my heart is not. Because my life is not a silent night, right? My life is not silent at all. It is chaos. It is crazy. It is dysfunction, like, everywhere I look. And I'm just like, you know what? This Christmas season, I'm feeling overwhelmed and burned out. And for mm. the first time in my life, I just want Christmas to be over. <laughs> and I'm like, I have to get my heart at a point where mm. I can go to church and interact with people and not be this Scrooge. Yeah. So yeah. I sat down with a pencil and paper at night after I got the kids to bed and everything. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not looking at the story. 
I'm not looking at anything. I want to look at the people, mm. the actual people, not all the stuff around it. And so I went through the Christmas story and I wrote down a list of every person, every reference to a person that I saw. And what I would do is just every day I would just set aside 20 minutes to just research that person a little bit and try to understand like what their thoughts and feelings would have been at that time. And I just kind of had my journal and would just jot down notes. And then following Christmas, I came back around and I'm like, hey, you know, I'm going to pull that out and go a little deeper. Mm-hmm. And so then it was like I started typing up and I started putting some stuff on Facebook every now and then. And I had a friend that's like, Shauna, you really need to like actually put more than 10 minutes into each of these mm-hmm. and do something big with it. And I'm Ooh. like, really? You think other people would read this? And she's like, yes. Like, I love it. And I'm like, oh. And so then it was like, it was kind of this challenge put before me. And so I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to really cover this in prayer and go to God and ask him to really just open my mind and my heart and that creativity and try to present the Christmas story in a way that hasn't been heard before that will challenge people to really connect with it differently and let it really impact their lives in a very real way and kind of transform their Christmas from being about making sure everything's completed at church or all the gifts are bought or that, you know, you have all that checklist done Mm -hmm. and really focusing on more of that mindset. And regardless of where you are in the journey, whether you're, you know, a single mom or a single dad, because a lot of people are in that position, whether you just lost a job or you're transitioning jobs, you've moved to a new area, no matter what chaos God has brought into your life that you can find someone in that Christmas story mm-hmm. that feels those same things and can connect, you can connect through that person with that story and let it really just transform your Christmas. And so a lot of people I talk to, I use it actually as a nativity reading. I was talking to my kids about this the other night because as we start our countdown in December, we do a chapter every night and I was telling them like, it's kind of weird because I wrote it, but <laughs> it's a lot of fun to do and they're like yeah "Yeah, we like doing it so um but I've talked to a lot of families this year just kind of following up and it's like you know how are you using it like Mm -hmm. and they're using it as a yearly advent and I'm like that's really cool like I'm really glad that you know they they were able to connect with a character in that Mm -hmm. way it was really enlightening to me too to see which characters I connected with because going in I'm like oh I'm going to connect with Mary She's the mom that right. she's going to connect with. And I was surprised at how, how much I connected with some of the other characters I did. I know one that, like, when you and I talked a little about was Herod. I was very surprised as I, because Herod's name comes up in the Christmas story. And I, I kind of entered writing about him a little bitter because I'm like, oh, he's a bad guy. <laughs> I don't want to write about a villain. Yeah. And so I kind of started from a very negative standpoint. But I'm like, no, I'm going to try to be open-minded as I research. And one of the things I found with Herod is he had a lot of medical problems. Mm-hmm. And he suffered from depression, paranoia, chronic kidney disease. He had nerve problems and pain problems. He had blood flow issues and no modern medicine to help. So as Herod is going through all these different stressors in his life and stuff, he's dealing with these chronic pain issues. And mm-hmm. I have some autoimmune problems and I myself have chronic pain. And it was really interesting trying to read his story with that lens 
mm-hmm. of knowing those days that like my fibromyalgia is just really intense and just trying to like see through things and like my temper flares and you know I get upset and I get stressed out and I say and do things I don't mean to mm-hmm. and it put a different light on Herod mm-hmm. and I'm like I don't want to connect with him though yeah <laughs> not yeah. what I was wanting <laughs> But I love, I love that you put Herod in there. You actually put him in a couple chapters. And before I get more into Herod, tell me how you have it set up because you have it set up in 25 chapters. So like, what's the intention of being able to read it? So when I started, I tried to kind of keep it in order from beginning to end of the story. So like mm-hmm. my first chapter starts with Gabriel. Because Gabriel's really the first one in the story coming to Mary and telling her, like, you're going to be with child. And Gabriel was a challenge for me because I'm like, I... I don't know what an angel is like. Yeah, how do you depict an angel? angel? <laughs> right? It was really hard. It's like, how do you de- depict an angel? And so I started doing some just personal research into, like, theories and beliefs on, like, angels and what they're like. And there's so many different ideas out there. Mm-hmm. And when I started kind of researching, I'm like, you know, what I really want to do is I want to I want to retell the Old Testament. Mm. Because... So many times when we look at the Bible, we look at it like there's this very firm dividing line between the Old and New Testament, and we look at them in two totally separate parts Mm -hmm. that are unrelated books. Mm -hmm. Like we have this book of all these stories over here, and then we have the real stuff about Jesus over here. Yeah. But the reason we have it all is because it's all the same story. Mm -hmm. And so like I really wanted to go back to Genesis and what was God's original plan for humanity and mm-hmm. why was Jesus a necessary part of that plan? Mm-hmm. Like what happened from beginning to end? And so I had a lot of fun just kind of retelling that Old Testament with that lens of redemption, with that focus being on why Jesus came and why Gabriel was sent to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I decided to start with Gabriel. But from there, like, I have a few chapters on Mary. Um, I have a chapter on her when... Um, Gabriel first comes to her and tells her that she's going to be with child. I have one shortly after Jesus is born. Um, I have, I believe I have another one later on where he's a little bit older. Um, same with Joseph. I have a couple different chapters on him at different points. Um, you know, when, when Jesus is born and he has, he's gone to Bethlehem with his new wife and he has been denied lodging by his family, which with a Jewish family is a major deal because Jewish families, they don't deny anybody. You can be a total stranger and they will find a place for you to sleep. So for him to go to the home of his family and then to say, there's no place for you here. Mm -hmm. um, That was a very, very, that had to have been a hurt that Mm -hmm. even though they don't really dwell on in the Bible, that had to have been very personal for him and very difficult to overcome. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, he's put in this position that now he's got to find a way to work without that family connection because the census that can take years. Mm-hmm. It's not this overnight process. Mm-hmm. So now he's in a new city. He has a new wife, a new baby, um, no connections, no family. And he's just kind of thrown in there. And so I wanted to kind of touch base with him too, like where he was emotionally mm-hmm. and in his heart, like after the birth of Jesus and just that overwhelming, like, Oh my gosh, God has entrusted me to raise his son. Mm-hmm. And, and I, wow. I think it's beautiful that you take all of these different people and you put them together because just as the, as 
the name of the book is, Is This the Plan? All of these people are a part of the plan, whether we see it or not. And you really have to dig into the scripture, into the history to realize, wow, this is a part of the plan. And you have it set up where this is something you can do as a devotional every day with your family or just even as a personal devotional. But let's go back to Herod, because I found your research in the history of Herod very fascinating. Tell me more about his mental illness, because he wasn't just mentally ill, but he was paranoid. He was. Herod, he came to power kind of through his father. His father had been friends with Mark Antony. Which and I didn't realize death- that Mark Antony, like we're talking about Cleopatra's Mark Antony, right? Yeah. Okay, Mark so Anthony. I didn't realize that that was around the same time. Yeah, I was actually surprised as I was researching like how intertwined Julius Caesar was because Julius Caesar was actually the uncle of Caesar Augustus Mm -hmm. and he actually considered Augustus to be his adopted son Mm -hmm. and gave him the name Caesar Mm -hmm. when he died and passed along like everything he had went to Caesar Augustus so Mark Antony was friends with Herod's father and when Caesar Julius Caesar died there was a struggle for that position of Caesar Mm -hmm. um Mark Antony was one of the contenders kind of in that struggle, and he lost to Caesar Augustus. And so Herod had been backing Mark Antony. He'd been friends with his father. He'd helped him be established in Judea. And then when Mark Antony lost, he was able to befriend Caesar Augustus and maintain his position in Judea. Mm-hmm. And at first he was kind of put in Judea as a governor, but as time passed, he was given more and more responsibilities and he was actually assigned the title of King of Judea. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting reading through it. Cause I'm like, wait, wait, no, he can't be the King of the Jews because Jesus is the King of the Jews. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't realize that he even held that title. But with Herod, um, he held that title of King of the Jews, and he took it very seriously. Mm -hmm. And he actually got to a point where he became so paranoid about losing his throne that he divorced his first wife and married his second wife to increase his position. Mm -hmm. And then his sister started kind of poisoning his thoughts about whether his second wife was being faithful and he was scared that she was having an affair mm-hmm. but he was worried if he divorced her and she wasn't it would be perceived poorly so he had her killed he had several of his children killed he had a string of like eight different wives over a period anytime anyone he thought was going to like take his throne and it wasn't like just minor things either when when he had his second wife killed he had her entire family killed mm-hmm. i mean everyone in connection with her and so herod held his position of king of the jews but it was through fear that Mm -hmm. people stayed in place because they never knew when he was going to just fly off the handle in these this rage and i find Um, that that history very fascinating because when you read the time right before Jesus and his family escape to Egypt, Herod calls out that he is going to have every child under two killed. And when you read that, you're going, man, that's, that's, that's a little heavy handed there, Herod. Like what the heck? Like, but then when you read his history and you learn about his mental illness, you learn about his paranoia of being dethroned as the King of the Jews. It makes more sense. 
Yeah, and I mean, he was so paranoid. Like, he had spies that were paid to go into the city and report back to him on a regular basis. Wow. So people, you know, they lived in fear of Harris Mm -hmm. because they could just say something complaining about taxes or something on the street, and if it got reported back and it was just the wrong day for him, their entire family could be killed. Wow. So Herod was wildly feared mm-hmm. in Judea. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing when I was reading it, I'm like, man, I guess his little temper tantrum when he has all those children killed, it really fits his pattern. Yeah. And so one of the questions that I ended up having faced, I'm like, okay, so when these magi come to him and they're like, hey, we're here to worship the king of the Jews and it's not you. Why did they walk away? Mm-hmm. And as I started doing more and more research, it was like, really, at that point, he had burned every bridge he had. Mm. And he was kind of on that last thread with Caesar Augustus. And if he screwed up too majorly, he was going to lose his position. Mm-hmm. That Caesar Augustus was going to step in, he was going to lose his position. Mm-hmm. And so for him, it was, he, had to, he had to find a way to not offend the Magi to not create a political incident because these men from a foreign land had come into his country that he had to play nice. So and do you think really he's playing made, nice because um, he didn't want to burn any bridges with any other countries because he had burned some with so many? Yeah, I, I felt like as I was reading through the research and stuff, it was like, you know, it really, to me, what I saw with it is it's like, you know, had he led an assault on the Magi, it would have triggered an international incident. And there's no Mm. way Caesar would have turned the blind eye to that. He would have lost his position. Okay. And so I felt like it was one of those things that he made a very calculated decision that he was going to use the Magi to try to find this child. Mm -hmm. There had already been in Judea a year before that time, there had already been kind of an uproar about the birth of the Messiah, because when they took Jesus to the temple at eight days to make sacrifice, Simeon and Anna, who were both in the temple at the time, both recognized Jesus as the Messiah. Mm -hmm. And Anna took it upon herself to basically drag the Holy Family around the entire temple and introduce them to everyone. Mm -hmm. But they were really focused on the child, and there was no no documentation, nothing I could find that ever showed that anybody knew who Mary and Joseph were. Mm. They just knew this baby was the Messiah. Okay. And so Herod, at that point in time, he had already kind of had like rumors that there was a Messiah, that the future king of the Jews had been born, but it wouldn't have been able to be substantiated, or nobody would really know who Mary and Joseph were. They had no family ties. They, nobody knew So that. that was really the Lord. Yeah, it really was, because had Joseph gone and been welcomed in by his family and been established, he would have been much easier to find. Wow. The fact that they were kind of disowned by their family, that that really, in the end, it was the Lord protecting them because they had no connection to anyone. Otherwise, Joseph would have walked in, he would have been recognized as the son of Jesse. There would have been family connections, and people would have identified him that way. It wouldn't have just been him and Mary going into the temple. They would have had their family going with them to present this child. It wouldn't have been them alone. And so it was really quite a blessing that Joseph's family had disowned them mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. And even living in living in Bethlehem, you know, they wouldn't have had much money. So trying to run away from Herod would have been an impossibility. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to hide from someone that, that is that paranoid with that many resources. But then the night before the angel comes to Joseph to warn him to leave, the Magi bring him a gift of gold. They basically bring them the finances they need 
to raise Jesus yeah. in another country. I had a pastor say once that uh, that 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 was Jesus's baby shower. That was Mary's baby shower yeah. because they brought these expensive gifts of frankincense, gold, and myrrh, and that funded their way to Egypt. I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That is when you take that story of Herod and you pick it apart, that makes so much more sense why Herod took the actions that he did. Now, let's go to Caesar. Now, I think it's funny that here we are so close to Christmas. We're talking about Herod. We're talking about Caesar because most people, they talk about Mary and Joseph and the three wise men and the shepherds, which is wonderful. But Herod and Caesar have a huge part to play in the story of Jesus and the Messiah coming. So pick apart Caesar Augustus for me. So Caesar was one I found really interesting because he was, his parents died when he was fairly young. He was kind of raised as a foster kid for all intents and purposes, mm-hmm. kind of jumped house to house, but he was, he was very ambitious. And like his dream was to join the military. Mm-hmm. And so when he turned 18, he enlisted in the Roman army and he, he was supposed to ship out and go on campaign and he fell ill. And instead of staying home, he bought passage on a ship while sick to travel to where the Roman army was because he couldn't travel with them at the time. He had to wait until he was feeling better. Mm-hmm. The ship was shipwrecked. The majority of the crew was killed. And when he got to land, instead of returning home, he continued on to the Roman front. Mm -hmm. And he ended up fighting his way to the front of the battle and caught the eye of Julius Caesar. Mm -hmm. And really, that was kind of where his journey began is at 18, that Julius Caesar, who ended up being his uncle as well. But it was really the first time Julius Caesar had ever really noticed him. Mm -hmm. And so Caesar Augustus, he, at a very young age, established himself in the military, and he ended up when his uncle died, when Julius Caesar died, Julius Caesar had no legitimate heir, and so he left everything to Caesar Augustus, who at the time was called Octavian. Mm -hmm. And so he gets everything from Caesar Augustus, or from Julius Caesar, and kind of goes out fighting for his place in the political world. You know, it it wasn't a small battle. There was other people who wanted that position when Julius Caesar died. Um, The Senate was at play. There there was a lot going on. And he was able to campaign and recruit soldiers. And the way he did it is he promised them land. Well, Mm -hmm. the problem ended up being is when it came time to pay out the land, he really had no land. So there was a point when he went through (laughs) Rome Yeah, he went through Rome and forced thousands of people off their land to give it to his military personnel, Mm. to give it to soldiers. Mm -hmm. But by doing this, it ended up disrupting a lot of the stability that Rome had. So after all these wars and everything are done, he kind of gives power back to the Senate, you know, as an act of good faith. But the Senate is sitting there, and now Rome is in chaos. The Senate can't control it. They can't do anything. So they end up turning around and actually officially placing the power of Rome in the hands of Caesar Augustus. Mm -hmm. And Caesar Augustus did a lot of amazing things for Rome. He was actually the one who established the roads, the highway systems going through Rome. Mm -hmm. And near the beginning of his reign, there was a census that had been done on Rome. 
and just to kind of get an idea of the count of people. And it had taken over a year to complete the census when it had first happened. But since that point, to the point of the Christmas story, there was a lot of Roman activity. The Roman Empire was expanding at at a a very fast rate. Mm -hmm. They were taking over a lot of lands, a lot of people groups, a lot of cultures, and they, they were just growing. Nobody could stand against Rome. If Rome decided they were taking an area, they just took it. And so by the time that Rome had expanded to this point, Caesar Augustus really had no idea how large his kingdom was mm-hmm. at this point. And what I really love is a census was not something that a ruler would typically do. It was very rare that a full census would be taken of a people. If it happened, it was usually because of the arrogance of the leader, mm-hmm. that they wanted to know how great they were. Mm-hmm. They wanted it recorded and documented for all of history to know how great they were. Mm-hmm. And so these are ordering this census, and it's really the backdrop to the entire Christmas story that we don't really think about it, but when yeah. we read it, it's like, you know, those couple of words where there was a census ordered. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of glaze over that. But that census being ordered, that was not an, an annual thing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something that happened every 10 years even. It was only done when a leader wanted to basically assess what they were ruling. So Caesar Augustus kind of coming to this point um, of wanting to know that and declaring that he wanted the census to the entire Roman world was huge mm-hmm. and really sets the background. And what I really thought was interesting is I was researching Caesar is how many names of Caesar, kind of like how Herod was referred to as the king of Judea. Caesar was also given several names that were names given to Jesus. He was referred to as the highest priest. Hmm. He was referred to as the illustrious one. Mm-hmm. He was. He actually changed history to have it recorded that Julius Caesar was the son of God. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it was really interesting, like looking at it, that he thinks so highly of himself and his mm-hmm. positioning. Mm-hmm. And he is doing this to show how great he is. And God uses that, that moment of his pride. Mm-hmm. to start the stage to bring his son into the world. Well, not just this moment of pride. I'm sorry, I interrupted you, but um, not just yeah. this moment of pride, but that was prophesied in the Old Testament that Jesus yeah. would come out of the town of David. And here they mm-hmm. are having to go back to the town of David. And G- that's where Jesus is born. Yeah, you're right. I, I, I've never really thought about, well, why did Caesar call a census and how that really fit into the fact uh, or into the the Christmas story itself. But like you said, God used his arrogance to fulfill and the I, prophecy. I yes, because he can use anyone, whether they realize it or not. And I really love that as I was researching Caesar, because um, he's in many ways, he's overconfident. But I, I don't really want to even say overconfident because he he was accomplished Mm -hmm. he had done things that no one would have thought possible Mm -hmm. well he seems Um, to be just really the way you describe him he's very he's just tough as nails he's a tough guy but it seemed like the and correct me if i'm wrong but in the book it just sounded like the death of his uncle julius caesar was really a turning point for him 
It was. And really, because Julius Caesar was, like, the last member of his family mm. and that he had. Um, his father had died when he was young. His mother remarried, and they just didn't want him. So mm. he kind of jumped around with family. Mm-hmm. And so by the time he ended up joining the military and Julius Caesar, like, was impressed by him, mm-hmm. it was the first and only family affirmation he'd ever really had. Yeah. And for him, that loss of his uncle that was that was a huge turning point for him and it really kind of put him in decision he had nothing to lose Mm -hmm. well it almost seemed to kind of bitter him a little bit i mean did it bitter him a little bit because that's just what it sounds like i felt like it did especially when the aftermath when there were so many people who just kind of trampled on julius caesar's legacy Mm -hmm. to just take his power Mm -hmm. um i felt like you know caesar augustus a lot of a lot of the stance he took and you know honoring his uncle by having him declared as the son of god it was a way of memorializing him and Mm -hmm. really recognizing how great julius caesar had been Mm -hmm. and not just taking credit for his work Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, that was one thing with him too, that it was like, you know, he'd always been very ambitious, but really after the death of his uncle, there was an aggression mm-hmm. that was definitely added in into the mix with him because mm-hmm. <laughs> Rome, whereas Rome was large and expanding, it was done through brutality. Mm. And done through you fear. Know, and, and that's why so many people yeah. were excited for the Messiah, because I think there was this misconception that God was going to free them from Rome. Yeah, the Messiah, they didn't realize that no Jesus was coming to set them free of their sins. Yeah. And one of the things that I found interesting is like, you know, with both Herod and Julius and Caesar Augustus is they are claiming the names of Christ. Mm. But they are they are basically presenting themselves to the people saying we are the Messiah. Oh, He's not yeah. coming. Like mm-hmm. let it go. Mm-hmm. And kind of presenting themselves in that way. And then anyone who stood against Rome, anyone who challenged the Roman authority, mm-hmm. they were crucified. Wow. Or their whole family was killed. Those were those were the situations that it was maintained through brutality. And so for me, it was like as I'm as I'm kind of reading this and everything, it's like it, it's. It's truly the blessing of God that Jesus survived mm-hmm. the reign of Herod, mm-hmm. because that was something that did not happen. Mm-hmm. It just didn't. Herod decided he wanted you dead. You you were killed. That yeah. was the end of it. Mm-hmm. And so it was truly God's protection and God's blessing mm-hmm. to that family that Jesus wasn't killed in that slaughter. Well, and just all the little but, things that led up to it, even the Magi coming, we don't yeah, realize giving how, yeah, giving them the money to flee. I don't think we realize how important that was that the Magi came. Now, after each chapter, this is why I say this makes a great family devotional. After each chapter, you ask questions. You ask devotional type questions. Tell me why you yeah. stuck that at the end of each chapter. So it was kind of a last minute thought, actually, as I was going through it, kind of my final time before submitting my final copy to my editor, I really felt like there was just something missing. And as I'm going through it, I'm like, you know what, I feel like for me personally, one of the things that I always appreciate in devotional books is where there's kind of a focus area at the end, because it's easy to, just like when you're reading things out, it's easy to read it as a story and just like, oh, that was a really nice story. Mm-hmm. That was very beautifully done and just kind of move on. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted a point, like after the story has been told, that you stop and you really think about what you just read. Mm -hmm. 
that it's not so easy to just kind of put back on the shelf and just be like, oh, that was a really beautiful story. You know, oh, I really like to part with the angel. But to really be like, okay, so what what can I take from this? Mm -hmm. How can this affect my life? How can I proceed forward, you know, with this changing my mindset? Mm -hmm. For me, like one of the things I came across is there were so many different characters in the Christmas story that it wasn't just Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. Mm -hmm. There are so many other characters that played such a major part in the early life of the Messiah here on earth. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really interesting kind of going through, because even like with Zechariah, the husband of Elizabeth, he was in the temple and he was struck mute mm-hmm. by the angel Gabriel because he doubted whether or not God was actually able to have Elizabeth give a child at her old age. And he is he's in this season of muteness in his life where he's mute for almost a year. And in that time, his wife becomes pregnant with who will one day be John the Baptist. Mm -hmm. And he knows that this child his wife is carrying is going to be a prophet that is revered at the same level as Elijah. Mm -hmm. And then his cousin comes to visit who's carrying the Messiah. And I sit there and I just, I wonder, you know, we glaze over this, but what would it have been like to be Zechariah, to have all that training as a priest, to be preparing for the coming of the Messiah, and to be sitting there unable to speak, mm-hmm. seeing these prophecies being fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of times like, we're afraid to speak. We're, yeah. we're afraid to declare the name of God boldly. Mm-hmm. And it, it was one of the things that really challenged me to kind of examine myself because here it is, Zechariah can't speak, that he would have probably given anything to be able to say anything at all. Mm-hmm. And yet through the Christmas holiday, it's like we get so distracted mm-hmm. that we we don't share what is, what's happened. We don't share the coming of the Messiah with people around us. Mm-hmm. And so it's like with, with him, it's like I really wanted, like when the chapter's done and everything, not to just be like, wow, that was an incredible story, but to really be like, okay, so what are you saying? How are you using your words mm-hmm. yeah. like, on just a regular basis? Yeah. No, that's really good. Shauna, I want to thank you so much for being here today. And where can I, where can people get your book? So um, you can go out on Amazon and find it, mm-hmm. or CBD. It's in both places. Mm-hmm. And so they do have, it's a hardcover, a paperback, and they do actually have an electronic. So you can do a digital download as well. Okay. And I'll make sure that I post the links in the show notes, too, so people can click on that. And I, I this is definitely, I know we're kind of late in the game, and it's getting closer to Christmas, but I, this is something that I definitely want to start with my kids on December 1st every year, because I just think it's such a great way to encompass every single person and how the whole story comes together and shauna you know i i just really feel like god is wanting me to say this right now to you and to whoever is listening this podcast is called unique on purpose and i think oftentimes we get in this idea of i'm not really much of somebody and Am I really unique? Is there really a purpose for me? And I don't know if you've ever thought this, Shauna, of I'm just a mom. But I think that 
you have created something so well one we're never just mothers right like (laughs) moms are super important and they're changing the world through uh raising their children and instilling jesus into their children but you have created something that moms and dads both can instill into their children and just that anybody can really sit and learn more about the Jesus story, the Christmas story. This is something absolutely amazing. God has created you uniquely as a writer and you took something that we tend to glaze over in scripture and you brought it to life. So I never want you to think or anyone else out there to think, well, I'm just a mom. Right. Because, man, God has created us all with different gifts and talents, and he wants them to uh, to be used for his glory, to glorify him. And that's exactly what you've done with this book. So, Shauna, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Make sure you head on over to Amazon. The book is called Is This the Plan? 25 days, 25 chapters. You can use this as a devotional with your family. You can use it for an Advent activity. But Shauna, again, thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me. I really had fun. (laughs) Thank you again for joining Shauna and I's conversation on the Unique On Purpose podcast. I love being able to dig deeper into the different people of the Bible because the more we understand them, the more we will understand our purpose on this earth. Don't forget to share, download, and subscribe. And remember, you were created unique on purpose. You are loved. And because of Christ, you have been made worthy. I'll see you next week.